Welcome to the elongated episode of Podcast of Savage Shed. I'm going to start with an oldie that you people who went to the Teesider and the Rock Garden will recognise. Here it is, and I'm going to morph into another song too, so you know where it was stolen from. Yep, those songwriters are terrible, terrible thieves, you know. And I come as some surprise Close to look from here and now you better beware Soon come sunrise, your coffee will be there We know that you're a social queen of hot and endless nights Silver screen scenes don't apply to real life now Hollywood strut, you got the Hollywood strut Style can become an obsession Hollywood strut, you got the Hollywood strut now Hollywood strut, you got the Hollywood strut don't you? That was Roxy Music's Virginia Plane. When I wrote Hollywood Strut with Jeff Fogarty, uh, we wrote it around his mother's house. She had this organ that she'd got, um, you know, from Hamilton's, I think. And it was one of those organs that had, um, you know, a beatbox on it. And um, me and Jeff had started writing songs together. And Jeff had a Roxy Music songbook and... um, and I, I think we we talked about it. it would be great to write something like Virginia playing something like that. 
So I said, yeah, 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 that, that would be great. Yeah, um, you know, well, I like Sparks too, because it's a bit of girl from Germany. sparks in it too in fact the fast syncopated lyrics are probably more like sparks you know something for the girl with everything see the world you are the girl world you know it's it's probably more like that kind of syncopation so you know you get the idea now where, where I um I don't don't nick things but you I think all songwriters are like that you know they're inspired by um certain artists and certain attitudes and, and just vibes you know you pick up vibes and feelings and you go with it anyway enough of me banging on what have we got on the show today we've got John Peel we've got Richard Sanderson talking about his musical life we've got me of course talking about my musical life Something by Bob Green, Bob B. Gree. and um, I'm going to try and fit in Douglas Verrill too, Doug Verrill. Um, although I'm yet to find the um, MP3 that he sent me, but it, it will be found. Don't worry, and I'll spin it in, and it will all uh, come out smoothly. And uh, well, not too smooth because I don't want to be smooth on here. I want to be. Um, I wanna be. I don't want to be smooth. I, I want to be, um, I want to be a little bit sort of wonky, cronky, stinky, stonky. You know, I want to be, um, I don't want to be a professional. I mean, the world is full of professionals and they're all boring, aren't they? They're all, they all wear suits and, you know, they have lines and uh, they, they, they're like, they'll, they'll work by a script. On this show, I want us to rip up the script. And a bit like David Bowie did, um, you know, um, <coughs> A bit like he did, um, you know, put it together in, in a cut-up, maybe. See what comes out of it, you know. Because um, let's make it interesting rather than pedestrian. Anyway, on to Bog. Bog. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I must slow down. Right, I feel like I'm on cocaine or something. I'm not, kids, I'm not. Okay. Yeah, Bob Beagry. Sorry, I just hit my guitar strings with your book, Bob. It says here in the book, which is a beautiful book called The Last Almanac, and Bob has very kindly signed it to me. He's put, Dear Alan, please will you marry me? I'm thinking of leaving my wife. Best wishes, Bob. I'm sorry, Bob, I can't actually do that, but because um, I've got a wife too. However, if we meet somewhere on... The, no, anywhere, anywhere. I, I'm going to Blackpool this weekend. I'll buy you a Kiss Me Quick hat. Okay, how's that? And you will um, not do that because I won't let you. Spanning 20 years, it says here on the inner sleeve, the poems in the last almanac are compressed into a single year's calendar. Charting subtle seasonal shifts, phases of the moon, ancient holy days, moments of the seemingly mundane, and the peaks and troughs of living, growing, loving, gathering, letting go. It says a lot more too. But I want to read a poem now. 
this is the kind of book you can open it and you find something wonderful straight away. So I opened up the book and it ended up on page 14. And I'm going to read this poem by Bob Beagley. I'm, I'm going to have him on the show to interview him. Um, I just haven't had time to do it. Sorry, Bob. Various things have, have happened in the last week. I had family commitments and, oh, it's boring, boring, boring. Anyway, I'm going to read your poem, Bob. It's called Evensong. Listen to this. Gibbous moon latched by a dream catcher, crooning the blues over snow-swaddled hills where towns and villages break like waves in the curtain twitch of isolating suburbs. The holy watchfulness of the little egret perched upon a bare branch over the gill. With the patience of basking ivy leaves, its own pale smudge snagged amid debris, going nowhere fast in the cold lunar flood. The yearly catastrophes of freeze and melt clogged drains gargling fresh darknesses. The waters glow with living room lamps. She sails twilight in her threadbare shawl, the ancient parade of the not yet born. Between day's demise and hatchling night, like the wide open sea, gone quiet, lulled at last from turbulence, laid out across thickening murk, a dropping away, as she dips her slippered feet into skull cups of sleep, skips over white moors to Swainby. Wow, I savoured every word of that poem. Wasn't it absolutely deliciously beautiful? We have coming up next an interview with my old friend Richard Sanderson. Coming up any second now. Richard Sanderson, welcome to Savage Shed. Great to have you here. Very happy to be in your shed. Well, great. Let's um, have a few crackers, a bit of cheese, and let's have a little um, chat, shall we? Okay. Now, Richard, I've known you since way back in um, the dark days of the... Well, it's not the dark days. They're very golden days now, aren't they? Um, of the, the late 1970s. And when I first Indeed. met you, I, I think it was 79, wasn't it? Or was it 78, possibly? Might have been 78. I'm not sure. I, I was... Uh, the first time I, rem I, rem I remember I saw you, because I saw Vasak's, reasonably early on i think and so i must have seen you and the only thing i remember about you is that i thought you were good and i remember there was a, a did you used to have a tune that ended with some kind of russian tune at the end of it like a sort of i don't know i can't remember what it was but there was something there was some song you did that had this kind of semi-classical tune at the end of it which i thought was very unpunk and kind of liked but yeah i think the first time we actually met was at the welly because um, drop were doing their first proper gig at the welly and bass right. were on dave johns was there and i think discharge might have been playing as well and um yeah and we we we, we bonded over our guitars because we both had k strat copies that's right <laughs> mine was from the mine, mine was actually from the catalog where was yours from i think mine might have been as well yeah i think i've probably got it from a catalog 
Yeah, and I remember I remember trying to keep up the payments and failing miserably. It was it was only about two pounds a week or something. And what happened was my dad ended up paying it off it for me. Great. I think it was about sixty-five quid. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. it was. The thing is, you can get guitars now, good guitars, relatively cheap. Uh, back then, yeah, I, seem yeah. to, I seem to remember back then, even to buy a K Stratocaster, like you said, it, they were about seventy-five pounds, which was actually a lot of money yeah. back then, you know. And um, it wasn't it wasn't that easy to pick up a second-hand guitar cheaply, not at all, unless it was... A no, really, they haven't really increased in inflation in the same way as, say, butter or something. That's <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're, they're still quite cheap. I'm astonished when I look in uh, guitar shops, because I pull, go past one every day and I see, oh, I could buy a guitar if I wanted. I don't, but, you know, I yeah. could. yeah. Anyway, Richard, let's get, uh, that's great. Yeah, I do remember meeting you too and um, thinking like, wow, this guy, who is he? You know, you had a sort of like, a, it wasn't a punk hairstyle. It was kind of like a, um, a dilapidated um, sort of um, Sid Barrett come, I don't know, I struggle to describe it, but it was quite a bouffant you had. Uh, and I well, hesitated, that was, that I had, I hesitated to use that word. Yeah, I, I hesitated to use it. Later, I had the mad hair. I was more, uh, yeah, I was just looked like a schoolboy when I first met you because I, I pretty much was. And I just had sort of flat, shortish hair. Just looked pretty uh, right. I'm getting, my <laughs> memory. Then it got a bit weirder later on. My, my memory is failing me then. You're right. Now you've said that, I could, I've, got, I've got a vision in your head, in my head, not your head, although I am in your head, but I'm not. Get out of it. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm getting mixed up there, Richard. So anyway, let's talk music. Okay. So punk, punk. In what way did it um, spur you? Because for me personally, I felt I was a little bit older for punk. I was by that time 18 and I'd had all my influences as far as I was concerned. You know, and you know who they are, Born and Roxy Music, uh, you know, a bit, of, right. a, a bit of everything, you know, before then, a bit of Beatles, Stones, all the rest of it. And when punk came out, um, I was kind of like, oh, it's just a London fashion, this, it'll soon, it'll just go, you know. But then what happened was, I was listening to the radio one night, and John Peel played uh, New Rose by the Damned. And, uh, and, did and I did a whole punk 76, which I heard, and I, it really did change a lot of things for me. And I remember he finished off, I think, with the with the Damned, with the yeah. New Rose single. But he also played stuff like television, which I'd never heard before. Oh, that's you know, right. Little Johnny Jewel. Yes, that's right. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably had the Dead Boys or somebody like that on it. Because, I mean, it was 76, so there wasn't that much stuff around. the Ramones and what have you. Most of it was still yet to be recorded. But, um, yeah, I mean, in answer to your question, what it, what it did for me was... And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it was the, oh, anybody can have a go at this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of bollocks talked about um, punk now. You know, one of the biggest ones is how terrible music was in the 70s until punk came along. And it's like, no, actually, if you look at what music was actually like just before punk you had disco some of its best stuff you had roots reggae it was absolutely yeah. amazing yeah. you had some really interesting stuff happening in prog you had kraut rock you had there was just tons of stuff and punk came along and kind of spoiled it really this idea of punk was the great savior of music no it, it was a useful and great thing and it did make me you know play and join for band and stuff like that so it was great but dear me a lot of music was awful <laughs> it was really yeah was. 
It really was. And uh, yeah, there's some, I must admit there was some of it. I was thinking like, oh, hang on. No, that's that's taking the mick a bit, you know what I mean? But like I said, the Dan's New Rose, I heard that and I like went, what the dickens is that? It's, you know, it sounded to me, effort. it sounded to me like kind of like the trogs or something, you know, like a, like primitive, like a, and the trogs were always like wild thing. It, to me, to my mind, um, it sounded like a kind of, if the trogs were a punk band, that's what they'd sound like, you know. And, uh, and I liked it straight away and I thought, oh, 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 uh, something's going on here. I need to take notice. Then I started to see in the music papers, you know, uh, I remember the first time I saw um, a review of the Sex Pistols and I'm eternally, it's like when I missed that Kraftwerk gig that you went to and I didn't, okay. Yes, yeah. I've worked out why I didn't go there, by the way. Uh, my sister reminded me she said to me, oh, weren't you very ill then? And I said, yes, I was. Oh. I, I, I had shingles. You I had did. a note from your mum. I had shingles and uh, I was bedridden. Uh, I was going to go with my oh. schoolmate. My schoolmate, Kev Monty, we always went to gigs together. And um, we were going to go to that gig, but I was ill, right? So um, he, I think he did buy a ticket for me, but obviously he gave it to somebody else. So that was one of those unfortunate things. But um, the Sex Pistols also, and I could kill myself for this, they played support to the Doctors of Madness at Millsborough Town Hall. Oh, Correct. yeah, I, I never and, uh, to that. Yeah. No, and, uh, and I, 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 the thing is, again, it's an annoying thing. I knew who the Doctors of Madness were, and I thought, I might like this band because they sound a bit sort of, uh, you know, glammy, but a bit yeah. like a, a dark glam type of band or something. Like, a, I don't know, I can't explain it. So, and I was aware that, um, what's his name? Was it Richard Strange, the singer? Richard Strange, yeah. And I, I remember seeing pictures of him and thinking, yeah, he does look strange. I like the look of him, you know, because I was a bit of a strange boy myself, you know. Anyway, I didn't go to that gig. I wish to hell I had, because I would have seen the Obsessed Pistols. Anyway. What uh, was yeah. your first punk gig then, Sam? It was the Damned. Right? It was with my oh. friend, yeah, it was with my friend, Doug Verrill. We went to Middlesbrough Town Hall Crypt, we went the week before. I think we'd seen darts. Remember darts? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was at that dance. Yeah, Eddie cool, Eddie cool. I mean, I I love that. I love that side of music too, where you had those sort of like they were very entertaining. It was just entertainment, man. You know, and, and I like being entertained. Ben Hegarty doing his maniac thing. That yes, that's it. right. Ben they were they were, an ex, they were actually a really really good live band, and and I was you know I was because I was a singer, I was really into their harmonies. And I used to sort of like, uh, I mean, I had a few of their records. I used to like harmonize in my bedroom, trying to get my harmony sorted out, you know. Tell me about the boy from New York City. Remember that one? I don't know. But um, yeah, it was the damned. I went with Doug Verrill and it was, it must have been about um, May 1977. I'd already bought some punk singles. I bought White Riot. The first punk singles I bought were White Riot and uh, Neat, Neat, Neat by The Damned, and I bought them on the same day. And I remember taking them back, because I'd never heard White Riot. I just bought it, I read about it, and I put it on, and I was like, bloody hell, this is great, you know, White Riot. I'd never heard anything like it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, it was just so exciting, and I suddenly looked at my record collection, and I thought, right, uh, the Eagles, um, right, uh, oh, Johnny Mitchell, you can sell. Stevie Wonder, I like Stevie Wonder. I can't have that Eagles album. And I was like that about it, you know? And I, I really, I, I mean, I, I didn't really. I, I kept them all. Yeah. I was always no, very... No. Yeah. 
I remember Steve Graham talking talking about your bad lads collection. He used to call it, you know, the bit in the back bottom of the wardrobe where you put all your uh, all your pre punk records that you were a bit oh, right, okay. about, but you didn't yeah, want to yeah. throw away. Wow. So I had my third year band records in there, I think, and uh, a few other hippie stuff, you know. Oh, but um, that's good stuff, though, Richard. I mean, that's I wouldn't well, say that's anything to be embarrassed about. I mean, it's, I think if you have... Well, I don't think like, the Eagles is anything to be embarrassed about. I no, like no, 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 so do I, actually. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I've been in denial. What, what, what punk did to me that was negative? Although it, it didn't, because I still liked pop stuff and I still liked soul. I mean, I've always loved soul. I was indoctrinated uh, by my cousins with this, you know. Uh, and one of the earliest albums I had was um, the Atlantic fantastic compilation. If you ever find a copy of it, get it. It's just called This Is Soul. And it's just got a dream track list on it, you know, all the stack stuff. Sorry, the Atlantic stuff, not the stacks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just one of the best compilations ever. And it was a budget album too, apparently. Um, it was one of those that got, you know, downgraded to like being... I don't know, 199 or whatever it was. Or, or, well, actually, yeah, no. Lost Leader. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so so for you, right, anyway, I remember seeing your band back then and um, thinking, oh, this is interesting. So what were you trying to do then musically, would you say, when you were in Drop? Let's go back to Drop. Uh, or Tick Tick, sorry. All right, well, Drop. Drop and tick tick. Let's talk about them. Right. Drop was first. That was my that was my punk band that um I started with uh, a guy called Neil Jones. Not it wasn't Jonah from the Rock Garden. It's a different Neil Jones. Yeah. Um and uh, Andrew Kish and Chris Oberon, and we were. I mean, my th- thing was that I was. I was quite pretentious, you know, and I thought we were a bit above all the other punk bands, although we was we were still, you know, we were noisy and fast. We did dare to have longer songs and, and slow, some really slow ones and stuff like this. There was even one that had like, a, it was a bit jazzy. So we were trying to, um, trying to push the envelope a bit. And it was quite good, <laughs> giving me the thumbs up. And um yeah, but also, yeah, I, mean, I, I did. We were a bit arrogant, and we wanted to annoy people a little bit, and um, and that meant, to a certain extent, annoying the punks as well, you know, which we did, I think. Although I think we did that more with Tick Tick, because we had Tick Tick, we had the drum machine and everything. Oh yeah, was, um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, wooden drum machine. I do remember I it. Oh, you should use it again. You, you should revive it. I did use it. I used it about five, five, six years ago in a, a, a sort of ad hoc band with Kev Hopper. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. We did this kind of um, funk yeah. thing. I had um, the drummer from Delahead was in it as well. Um, really? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was like an all-star band, and we and I sat there and I was, playing, I was playing keyboards, and I had that drum machine going. And I, I was playing all my keyboards through a wah-wah. and people were saying, "Oh, it's like Sly Stone." And I was like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but right. it was that kind of we were going for that sort of yeah seventies soft machine kind of sound. It was that's quite, that's it was amazing. Quite that's amazing because one thing yeah the drum machine still worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I I can relate to what you're saying because like one thing with me was although when I joined Bassas because remember it was Mick Todd's band I joined his band he already yeah, had yeah. the band he already had the band and I joined with Jeff Fogarty as you know. 
and then we became something else entirely. Uh, just ruined him, ruined mixed ideas. Basically, no, I'm joking. Well, it but, wasn't um, uh, the original Bass Acts was like a noise group, wasn't it? It's like that's kind of right. Well, it, it was, yeah. But I mean, I never saw them. But I've heard um, the thing was, I got sent a demo tape, or rather, Jeff Fogerty played me it over the phone, and he said to me, um, "Do you fancy?" giving this band a go and I said oh well I don't know yeah get, let me hear it you know and, it, and over the phone he played me Curly in photography uh, Mick always called it Carlyan and I, I used to say to him, it's not it's, I said it's not Carlyan it's Curlyan but anyway never mind it's even misspelled on the fast record, on the record I know. yeah it's even misspelled oh. I, I, did, I did try to say something but for some reason it slipped the net anyway and, and I and I was just to blame because I was singing Carlyan instead of like Curlyan so I, I, I messed it up too Anyway, um, but that's what's coming from a council estate's life. You know, you, you, you've never heard these words, and if you've never heard anybody say them, how do you know how they sound? You know, it's that kind of thing. Anyway, um, yeah, um, I was the same pretty much because um, I joined this band, Bassax, and I could already play quite well, you see. And I thought, I'm not going to be pretentious and pretend I only know three chords or something, you know. I can play, and I'm going to play. Do you know what I mean? I don't care about all that punk ethic so I did pair, I did kind of like a re rethink my guitar playing. That's it, it had an influence on me in that way, punk, I think. Um, when I heard television, especially, and I heard Susan the Banshee's guitarist too. Um, oh yeah, he was yeah. yeah. Uh, that, band, and yeah. I'm talking about the first band, not not um no McGeoch's great too. I, I like McGeoch, I think he's really good. Those, those kind of guitarists, I mean made me think right okay i've got to get i can still have a bit of Jimi hendrix and a bit of mark Bolan and a bit of phil manzanera andy but gill was a good one for me uh, you remember yeah. andy gill i certainly do i remember that gig at the rock garden sound but right with the funk edge you know it was really yeah. there was nothing like it that's right Very you're right good. yeah he was great wasn't he he really was and gang of four were one of my favorite bands from back then and wire too i love wire wire are still good they still make great records you know they really do anyway, yeah i sorry. still try them out <laughs> a sense of duty but i've been less impressed over the recent the last few really anyway let's stick let's let's it's great that we've gone off at tangents but um this is going to be like a two-hour show at this rate <laughs> anyway not wrong um, with that. there's not wrong with that lad no there isn't um so yeah so you came into it from like a kind of like a, a bit of kraut rock kraut rock um although yeah. i hate that term yeah, the german band's angle and, yeah, and you I had a really little bit of, yeah uh, and you were once called the peter hamill of teesside tell us a bit about that because um, i think that's quite a high accolade and who gave you it's it tell, tell the listeners well well that was julian cope fairly fairly re well about 10 years ago he wrote um because i it's a bit of a story but i'll try and uh, cut it down I met Julian Cope um, from the, when he was in the Teardrop Explodes because the Teardrop Explodes played at the Rock Garden on the day that I finished at Sixth Form College. So I finished at Sixth Form College. I was free lad. I went to the Rock Garden and there was a there was a gig. Top of the bill, Patrick Fitzgerald. Middle of the bill, The Wall. Yeah, me neither. And then bottom of the bill was this band called the Teardrop Explodes, wow. who I'd bought a single of and loved. Absolutely yeah. loved it. What was that? And, what was uh, the single? Was it uh, when I dream? I dream about. Oh, no, oh no, so, okay, yeah. All right, okay. Oh, yeah. And they they did this great set, and I just thought they were fantastic. So I got chatting to the the bass player and singer, which was Julian, 
And he said, oh, you know, are you in a band? And I, I said, so I sent him a, a tape of Drop and he tried to get assigned to Zoo. And then years and years later, he didn't because the, apparently they thought we sounded too much like the Falls. You know, but there you go, them's the breaks. And um, you didn't, did you? I don't and so. Julian and I sort of corresponded for a bit. And I, uh, I, I went round to his house and uh, we played some, we worked on some tunes together. And then he kind of fell out with me because I got back into pop music and I was really into groups like Orange Juice and stuff. And he was more into, um, you know, sort of noisy psychedelic stuff, which I, at that point wasn't such an interest for me. Um, and I was a bit, uh, yeah, so I was a bit lost. And he wrote this article basically saying that, you know, there was this guy in, in Middlesbrough who had this amazing band and they, they did this did this great stuff. And they never even got into a studio. And then by the time I was able to sort of maybe do something about it, he turned into, um, he, he said I'd turned into Edwin Collins. <laughs> which for him, not a compliment, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well, that was quite funny. I mean, yeah, so, it, but... You know, what a bit, what a bitchy boy! I'm sure you, I'm sure you identify with this actually, Sab, in the sense that I, uh, I quite often sort of sabotage my own career, music career, quite regularly. I mean, I'm still doing it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, if I'd stuck with Drop um, and carried on in that direction, possibly could have got signed to Zoo. Certainly could have, um, you know, we would have got somewhere. But I got frustrated with it all, and I, yeah. I, I left. I had a bit yes. of a breakdown and I left and yeah. came back in with Tick Tick, who were already existing. And I decided I just wanted to be in a band rather than writing all the songs and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. so I joined Gary and Jeff in Tick Tick, which was a, a wonderful experience because it was like being in a gang. This, you know, it was really I, thought, cool. I thought you were great, by the way. I do remember. I remember um, Skinheads looking very bewildered when I, I don't know who it was you were supporting it might have been the fall or something because i was at a fall gig and i simply remember seeing well, you there the i think what it was i think you were playing as well i think it was um a day where there was supposed to be a band on and they'd cancelled so they very hastily got a load of local bands i think Bassac, right. pretty sure Bassac won. um probably no way as well and we were right near the bottom with the drum machine and yeah and there were all these skinheads um dancing with their coats I remember. I do waltzing, remember holding their coats out and waltzing with them. It was very, very funny. Oh, um, wait a minute. Yeah. Sorry, I'm running out of time. It says here. What's this? Oh, hang on. Just ignore Nine it. minutes remaining. I think it's trying oh, we to. Can do it. Yeah, I think it's trying to. Um, oh, I've got nine minutes left. Okay, let's do it in that time then. Right, let's move on. Yeah, I thought that your band. Why do you hate your stuff in Ocean's Eleven? I thought you were a really good band, and I, I you see, I like pop, and I liked your songs in that band, and I, and I, I didn't, and, and I, could, I could, yeah, I could, I could hear the, um, thinking of it now, I could hear the Edwin Collins influence, but I don't think that's a bad thing, you know, what's bad about that? It's, yeah, it's I was with Edwin Collins and Vic Goddard, and Vic Goddard, I thought, was very interesting at that period, because he, yes, he, was. he tried, he, he tried to sort of bring back song, old school songwriting, you know. Yeah, I've got his album, yeah. This kind of jazzy thing going on. And um, and I thought he was some kind of genius. The problem was I didn't have the, you know, I didn't have the the chops for it. I wasn't a good enough writer or singer or musician to do it. So we came out in this kind of half-assed um, pop music. I, I still cringe a bit when I hear it. I cringe at my lyrics. I cringe at the... Uh, 
at, at the tunes and I, I know what I was trying to do but I just wasn't good enough I think and then it and then I had a, like another rethink and I had a kind of mental year zero and I'd listened to nothing but Suicide the band obviously for um didn't make you want to commit it did it came back out of that <laughs> with this much more minimalist thing and uh and I was much happier with that and I'm, I'm still kind of like that stuff that I was doing then with the with the keyboards and singing over this kind of very repetitive music so I, I think I was basically trying to find a way out and and it wasn't trying to pretend I was like the new Cole Porter because I clearly wasn't <laughs> I wasn't even the new I wasn't even the new Edwin Collins you know you know who 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 could ever be the new Cole Porter anyway I mean you know you, you you've got to um you know I, I do aspire to that kind of songwriting well, you got out at a good stab I think you know that's that yeah that's right the thing is I wouldn't I, I would see that as your juvenilia, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't be so harsh on myself if I were you, because uh, to my ears, from and, and I'm sure if I got a tape of your, I mean, I haven't heard your Ocean's Eleven for years and years and years. I would like to hear some, because uh, I, I just remember at the time thinking, oh, it's so refreshing this. Here's a band, they're not being gloomy, you know, that Joy Division stuff. And uh, I just Yeah, we were I, very I, much a reaction to that. And the goth thing, it wasn't even called goth then. I, I remember, all those yeah. Like and Bauhaus were all really big in Teesside. You, yeah. you know, you had to dress in black with loads of studs and stuckles yeah. and God knows what. And it was, um, I, I hated it, Sab. I couldn't bear that music. So it was a reaction against that. That's great. Definitely. Uh, but it was a waste of time, really. <laughs> I mean, trying to do that in Middlesbrough was... Uh, yeah, it was a bit crazy. I it mean, was, it's eccentric, and I, I kind of—I'm not totally embarrassed. Well, I am pretty embarrassed by it, but um, it was an eccentric thing to do, you know. Really, there's nothing. And, there's um, nothing wrong with that, Richard. I mean, it doesn't matter if you are—if you've got an audience of twenty people who think that you're great. What does it matter about the other totally. eighty? You know, no, but what I mean is, what does it matter about the other eighty? But you know what I mean. You've got to like—you've uh, you, got to be committed. I think. To what your vision yeah. is, uh, and I, I do, yeah. I do, uh, I do um, I identify with. I don't think I was sufficiently committed, though. And that's why. I, that's yeah. why I, I had to stop doing it. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Uh, I'm sorry. What happened to that interview was there was more of it, but when I played it back, it was there were a load of dropouts, and I couldn't salvage it. I mean, it sounded like uh, 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 it was really bad, you know. Anyway, I do remember what Richard said to me after that. He said that he joined a band called, well, he formed a band called Euphoria Case, who were a very interesting band. They were kind of like a, a bit fall-like, and I don't mean they were like the fall. I mean, they were sort of like, um, you know, pretty sort of atonal and um, experimental, I guess. And dare I say, a precursor to Richard's um, improv days. Because Richard told me then uh, that he moved to London in 85, 1985, and, um, you know, he, he discovered the improv scene there, kind of stumbled across it and thought it was interesting. So he, you know, he got involved in that. And then he met various musicians like um, Kev Hopper, who used to be in Stump. And eventually that led to a collaboration um, with some other musicians called Ticklish, which is very interesting stuff. I've heard it, you know, it's very, very interesting. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's had a long, illustrious type of... Um, I, I don't use the word career, because I think that's a bit of a cheap word. Um, I would say journey. You know, Richard's had an interesting journey. And he formed a label called um, 
are linear obsessional, sorry, linear obsessional, and released a lot of stuff on that label. I mean, very prolific output. And um, he's folded the label now, um, unfortunately. Well, obviously fortunate for him because he had his own reasons to do it. But there's a lot of, lot of great, interesting stuff. You know, if you like stuff that's way left of the dial, right, and I'm talking about way left, I'm not talking about a bit left, I'm talking about off the scale left of the dial, um, then do check out some of that stuff because it's still there, you know, linear, obsessional um, stuff online. And, um, yeah, I, I want to backtrack a little bit before that interview because I read a poem by Bob Beagry, and I just wanted to say, um, the book itself, um, The Last Almanac, it's a beautiful book. This, You know, the poems are fantastic. They really are. Uh, I mean, for me, Beagree, you know, he should be as big as um, Jimmy Cranky, at least, you know. But I know Jimmy Cranky isn't very tall. But um, if he stepped on a ladder, he could be big. That's what I think, you know. So get yourself a ladder, Bob, and I think that um, Ziggy played guitar. Jamming good. David, go away. All right, then. Yeah. Um, what about my music, then, eh? What about that, yeah? Oh, yeah. All right, what about that? I'm on Spotify. Uh, I decided to go with the streaming thing, after all. Even though they pay artists peanuts. and um, Well, actually, it's more like a quarter of a peanut. It's not even a peanut, you know. Um, now, I'm not bothered about that. I'm not looking to make a living out of music, really. I'm not. I've got a job. You know, I'm a teacher. That's my day job. Um, music is my passion. It always will be. And, um, yeah, so I'm on Spotify, and I'm on other um, streaming sites, too, like Amazon and uh, what's the other one? Apple and Tidal and stuff that I haven't even bothered to check out, you know. Spotify is enough for me. I can't quite commit myself to Apple it's just too much, isn't it? You know, you get too much coming at you all the time. And lately I've, um, I've actually slimmed down things. I've got rid of my Bandcamp account, as I posted on um, Facebook about it. And I've even got rid of my SoundCloud account. Why? Because it's a waste of time. You know, it's a waste of time if you've got no profile. Uh, you know, you're not going out there playing, which I do intend to do. I, I am going to be going out there playing, um, hopefully at the end of the summer. Um, you know, I'm going to be doing that. And I might do it as a solo acoustic player. I might do it with a percussionist. I'm not really sure yet, but um, I will do it either way. So please check out my music on um, Spotify. It's just under Alan Savage. There's a few tracks up there that are under Alan Savage and The Passion. Now, I've noticed that these seem to be separate from my Alan Savage account which is a bit annoying because it means that you missed... If you just type in Alan Savage, you miss out the ones that are Alan Savage and The Passion. And, um, yeah, uh, anyway, well, what song can I play of mine today? Got my guitar in hand here. I'm going to sing... A very, very old song of mine. I wrote this when I was at British Steel. It's never been played before. It's not on Spotify. You won't find it on there. But I want to do exclusive songs on this podcast that, you know, are just one-offs. 
Uh, when I was at British Steel, well, I wasn't there very long. I spent about eight months. That's all I could stand, you know. Um, yeah, maybe nothing against the place. I just didn't want to work there. I didn't want to be, you know, a labourer at British Steel. Anyway, um, yeah, besides it used to ruin my clothes, going to the machine, getting oil that went through my, um, you know, my, my boiler suits and um, ruined my new shirts. And I got sick of my boots melting on the furnace. Anyway, never mind. Um, I wrote a song called Limousine Dreaming. It's about that. Um, the boss came up to me one day, the foreman, and he said, oh, what's wrong with you, Alan? You know, you, you seem to be miles away all the time. And I said, well, I know I'm a musician. I want to be in a band. I want to... And he said, well, follow your dream then, lads. You know, follow your dream. He was quite nice about it. Okay. It's called Limousine Dreaming. It's a bit like a Ray Davis type song. the lyrics to the second verse of that I couldn't remember it but there was something about bluffs looking at page three girls and uh, me not really minding that much but thinking oh it's not really me really you know feeling a bit sort of conflicted about it yeah anyway I'm gonna have to sort of like take a little break now because um, I need to get myself a cup of tea and um, a, a digestive biscuit that I hope has got chocolate on it if it hasn't, I'm going to um, play the blues. Well, I hope my digestives. Yeah, I've got chocolate on them, baby. I said, I hope my digestives. I've got chocolate on A up, A up. Here comes a poem by um, the Borough Bard, Douglas Beryl. 
I'd like to do a little poem about the area I live in, but it could be any area, uh, could be any estate, any town, any city. It's called Needs Must. The girl down the road's an escort, popular comes from Capri. She's sassy and classy with a leather clad chassis. Nice ride with a long MOT. Next street there's a cheap fag house. A fiver at least it's a smoke. The rough and the tough and you can't get a puff But at least you get cancer and choke And the shoplifters always come calling After eights, after shave, after cash Mac threes are fusion, a life of confusion All over the place like a rash The girl next door does cheap cleaning Spit polish and elbow grease Skin down to her bones to pay back her loans. A life sentence, no early release. And bags of green from street dealers. Smack and crack in your veins. A hospital trip, hooked up on a drip. A&E take the strain. And sex at rock bottom prices. Enough to pay for a fix. Lonely and cold, 15 years old, perverted old men get the kicks. And sharks are quick with their handouts, kneecaps are handy to walk. Born against willow, horse's head on your pillow, payday circles like a shite orc. And we've got our own neighbourhood watch, he thinks he's the borough's Kim Philby. An ex-prison screw, a fan belt in Kung Fu, a gabardine mac, bow tie and a trilby. Round here there's not many choices, it's either shit or it's bust. You swim with the piranhas, no prep school, Jim Carners, it's just a case of needs must. Cheers. <laughs> Fantastic, Doug, really enjoyed that. You know, he's, he just captures the uh, the nitty-gritty there, doesn't he? Just brilliant, man, brilliant. Now then, we come to the skittish part of the uh, podcast now, where, um, you know, send in your own nominations, by the way, for um, Poodle Fart of the Week. Um, I think that um, the Poodle Fart of the last week has to be Philip Schofield. Now then, it's very difficult to feel sympathy for a man who seems to have... Um, you know, lied all down the line. And, um, you know, it's nothing to do with his personal life or the fact he's gay or anything like that. Uh, to be honest, I've, I've never liked him. Never liked him. He strikes me as the kind of person who would do anything for money. I mean, he was uh, on those adverts, wasn't he, for We Buy Any Car, uh, which should be retitled We Rip Off Any Car Owner. So he's propping up a corrupt system there, and I don't like that at all because I sold one of my cars because I was desperate to get rid of it to rebuy any car. It's totally my own fault. I left it too late. And I got something like £500 less than the actual value of it. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a rip-off, basically. But, um, you know, people like uh, Philip Schofield gladly take the money, don't they? They don't give a monkey's toss. Although, I think he would give a monkey a toss, wouldn't he? Uh-oh! <coughs> Right, okay. Um, now then, we will come to 
some more music in the minute, but I just want to um, say something about people who sent in uh, suggestions for a record that really had an effect on them or changed them. And I've got two nominations this week. One is uh, just going back to Richard Sanderson. Uh, I can't find the actual um, thing he sent to me, but I do know that it's um, the record that really got him, um, you know, interested in alternatives when he was only a mere teenager, very young. So he strayed away from Top of the Pops, I guess, um, started to listen to John Peel, perhaps, a bit like I did. I mean, I, I listened to Peely a little bit later, though. Um, yeah, it was Faust, the Faust tapes, an album that was released on Virgin in the early 70s. And, uh, and I bought that too. I mainly bought it because it was cheap. I think it was 50p or something. And, uh, and it's, it's an astonishing album, you know. It's, it's, I'd never heard anything like it before. And, um, you know, Richard Sanderson um, really rates this as something that had a big effect on uh, the way music can be made, you know, with tape loops, uh, samples, I guess, the samples there, you know, a very early form of sampling. And, um, yeah, so that, that was a revolutionary album. And I think he's not the only one. I think that possibly... Um, had an influence on a lot of people, a bit like the Velvet Underground did, you know, in the 60s, uh, of, of whom Eno said famously um, they might have only sold 5,000 records, but all those people went out and formed bands, you know. And, of course, it was David Bowie later who brought um, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground to um, public um, uh, attention, I guess. Certainly it was the case with me. I mean, I was listening to Johnny Walker one day and I heard... Standing on the corner Sweet Jane. And I liked it straight away. And um, I'd like to nominate that track as something that really made me think, oh, I like that. It's sort of basic, but um, there's something cool about it. You know, that actual track, Sweet Jane. I mean, of course, there were other records with me, T-Rex, um, you know, Bowie, the obvious ones. But I totally forgot about that. I do remember um, Johnny Walker playing it. Because Lou Reed at the time was just breaking through with the, the Transformer album. And, um, you know, Johnny Walker uh, was somebody I used to listen to quite a lot and he would play, um, you know, quite obscure stuff for Radio 1. Anyway, um, and another nominee would be um, for this. When I was younger, so much younger than today I never needed anybody's help in any way But now these days are gone and I'm not so sweet for sure too high for me that yeah that track uh, help was nominated by my very good friend dave thomas he of darlington uh, originally born in thornaby where the vikings uh, first laid their axes because thornaby is actually uh, you know thor nabby it's a it's a viking uh, place basically in fact, I suspect us tall people, Dave, like me and you, uh, probably have Viking heritage. You know, I'm not exaggerating when I say that or, or, or romanticising it. 
it is highly likely, apparently. Uh, I saw something on genealogy about height, and that if you're tall, you're more likely to come from Scandinavian origins. So there you go. We are the wild men of the boats, you know. <laughs> Really, it's too difficult that riff. Yeah, I can't scream like Robert Plant either. Yeah, I don't know how he does it. He must sort of like hitch his bollocks up or something when he does it, because I certainly can't do it. Not at all. dreamy psychedelic interlude there folks i'm going to finish this show now uh thank you to everybody who came on it and i look forward to the next one i just about managed to do this one this week i've had some reason i've, I've had a really hectic week every time i want to do something something happened and dragged me away from from making this but um let's finish with a uh, an old flame of mussolini song uh, my biggest hit <laughs> which got to number 79 in the charts. My Cleopatra. Next week, folks, next week. Okay.